Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense, And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're starting a new series today in the book of Luke, and it would be a great help if you could have that open in front of you uh, or uh, on an app or whatever you have. And um, I'm afraid there's no talk points uh, this week, uh, but uh, I will have some. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment. So if you're writing notes, just hold on for a second. Shall I pray? And then we'll uh, look further at this passage. Father, we've just been praying those words, come Lord Jesus. And we pray as we reflect on your work in 
this passage, that, Father, you would cause our hearts to look to him and his coming and give us assurance in that event. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps this year of all years, people have asked the question, where is hope found? See, before the pandemic, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that it was relatively easy to have a sense of optimism. Our medical advances, our technology, uh, the fact that most of us enjoy food on the table gives a general sense of optimism. But this year, of course, has challenged all that. Lots of the things that we took for granted have not looked so secure. Our health for many is not a given. A tiny virus from the other end of the world can change everything. Our mental health for some of us has been something we've now needed to wrestle with. And those things that we assume were secure, given in our lives, like our jobs and even our leisure time, will have looked far more shaky this year. And of course, if things turn a corner next year, which we pray they will, there will still be that sense, I'm sure, in which we've missed a year of life having gone backwards, of not seeing the people we love, of not doing the things we would like. That'd be very easy, wouldn't it, in a talk like this, to say, well, that's okay, because our hope is found in Jesus, and at Christmas we remember that. And of course that is true, but it's not that easy to hold on to, is it? It's not that easy to believe. See, for many people in our culture, the idea that we would put our hope in some ancient event, it just doesn't seem to sort of cut it when it comes to our everyday experience. And even, I'm sure, us Christians find it hard to hold on to hope when things seem so bleak, when the prayers don't seem answered, when a life seems to take the wrong turn. Which is why for December, I wanted us to look at these first two chapters of Luke. They, um, they're, they're two chapters that stand alone. And um, I've um, called this series Waiting in the Darkness because these first two chapters show us what it's like to wait when the world seems very dark. Now, many of us will know this already, but I, I do think it's worth saying each year that Advent is not a countdown to Christmas, despite what your Advent calendar is telling you each day. It is about looking to the return of Jesus and the hope that he will bring. But that experience for many of us is very difficult, isn't it? I think especially in our kind of instant Amazon Prime culture, I don't know about you, I get very fidgety if a package takes longer than a day to arrive or I have to wait for the internet to buffer. We're used to the instant. And yet, right at the heart of Advent is this idea of waiting in the darkness. And this passage, this one we have this morning, is all about giving you and me confidence that there is hope in this world, that we can trust this hope despite appearances. We see three things. Here's a talk points if you're writing notes. God acts in the darkness, God acts on the darkness, and we can know God will act. God acts in the darkness, God acts on the darkness, and no surprise, there's three points, we can know God will act. First of all, God will act in the darkness. See, at the start of this gospel, we meet Luke and Zechariah, 
And it could hardly be a more positive start, could it? Uh, Zechariah's a priest, we're told in verse 5, and he's married pretty well, isn't he? He's married Elizabeth, great name. Uh, But uh, not only that, she's a descendant of the most famous priestly family, Aaron. And not only that, look at their spiritual CV in verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, I know being a priest and observing all the Lord's, Lord's commands might not sort of seem uh, that significant in our culture. But in a Jewish culture, Zechariah is basically Superman. He's a superhero. He's a priest. He's walking blamelessly. He's keeping the law. And he's married uh, to a famous priestly family. But there's a problem. It all seems so promising, doesn't it? But we read in verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. See, they have everything going for them in their lives, but they're marred by this personal tragedy. And of course, it's a double tragedy because not only are they childless, but they're now beyond the age where having a child is even possible. And undoubtedly, there'd be some here this morning who know Zechariah's and Elizabeth's pain firsthand. But I guess we can all put ourselves in their shoes. And uh, if we look at the end of the passage in verse 25, uh, you see Elizabeth talking about taking away her disgrace. And it's a strong word, isn't it? But remember, this is a culture where ancestry and family counts for everything. And so to not be able to conceive, well, is to be second class. See, where does God's plan start? Where does God's big plan for salvation begin? Well, it's not with the happy-go-lucky couple, is it? It's not with the perfect family, with the perfect children, the perfect home, uh, and the perfect life. It is a couple who are suffering. But actually in Luke, there's more going on here than just this couple's personal tragedy. See, their story, in some ways, is the nation's story. See, verse 5 reminds us very subtly uh, of when this took place, partly to tell us this is a real historical event, but partly to remind us who's on the throne. See, we're told that Herod is. And Herod was utterly despised by the Jewish people. He was um, a barbaric, he was a tyrant, he even executed some of his wife and children. And um, you get a sense of what this meant at this time for the nation. Uh, just take a look over at page um, at verse 79 uh, of chapter 1. Uh, this is Zacharias speaking again. And just look at how he describes life in the present. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. See, that's the experience that this salvation comes into, darkness, the shadow of death. Now, lots of us, I guess, will not want to describe our lives quite in the same way, but I guess all of us live in a world, don't we, where things do look dark quite often. See, death and mourning and crying and pain are everyday's experiences, not just for us, but for all of us around us. And As we look at our world, it can seem almost impossible to imagine it being any different. And so often we hear Jesus give his promise that he will return and wipe every tear uh, and uh, there'll be no more death, crying or pain. And it just seems so impossible because we're used to a world where those things are everyday occurrences. 
But here we see God act in the darkness, in the most impossible of circumstances. See, if we doubt God can act, we only need to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and see what he does. See, look at what God promises in verse 13. Uh, Here's uh, God uh, acting. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. God's not indifferent to their personal tragedy. He's seen all the trips to the fertility clinic. He's seen all their tears. He's heard all their prayers. And now God acts in an unlikely situation to reverse their lives. Actually, when you take a step back from this and look at what it meant for Zachariah to be on duty and the fact that he is chosen, it is a complete shock. Um, I didn't know this until I was prepping this, that there were actually around 18,000 priests uh, who would be working at any one time. And um, they would be divided into kind of blocks, and um, each of those blocks would be on duty uh, two weeks a year. And, uh, of course, there were loads in each of those blocks, so they would cast lots, which, it, um, which Luke describes in verse 9, uh, to see who would go into the temple to, to offer the incense and the prayers. And so unlikely it was that you would ever be chosen, well, uh, most priests only did this once in their life. So this is Zachariah's big day, his big moment. And just imagine, out of all the, uh, out of all the priests to select, God chooses this couple. And he does so, I guess, to show us that hope comes through the most impossible circumstances. And of course, that's God's pattern, isn't it? As we look across the whole of Scripture, God promises to Abraham and to Sarah, I'm going to make you a great nation with many descendants, more than the stars in the sky. But who does he choose? Well, an OAP couple who have never had any children. Israel's great That judge, Samson, who was he born to? Well, a childless couple. Samson, uh, sorry, Samuel, that great prophet who served under King David, was born to Hannah, who was in tears at the temple, not being able to conceive. See, God shows us time and time again that he doesn't need some sort of raw material to, to deliver his promises. He doesn't need us. He brings light out of darkness, life out of death, hope in the most impossible circumstances. See, if you and me focus on our world, well, it is easy, isn't it, to lose hope, especially this year of all years. And I don't know about you, but I can find myself trying to latch on to things that seem more tangible or more deliverable, like uh, making a nice house, like my uh, job or uh, my relationships. Those things, I think, are going to deliver my hope. But actually, this reminds us that hope doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from our God. And we have a God who delivers in the darkness. But how does that help us um, in the day-to-day? How does that help us have confidence today? I mean, it's great news, of course, for uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But how, do I, that help, how does that help me in the darkness today? Well, secondly, we see here that God acts on the darkness See, the the birth of John is not just good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for the whole nation. Have a look at verse 14 and uh, what what he says. He will be a great joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
Now, why is the birth of one child uh, a message of great joy to many? Um, When my first uh, child was born, I was overjoyed, as you would imagine. And um, I showed photos to my family. They were overjoyed. And my close friends, they were uh, full of joy. Uh, But I quickly realized that a lot of people don't really want to hear or see your uh, child's photos. And uh, a lot of people were just not interested, sadly. And I'm sorry for boring you with the details this morning. Uh, But um, this child's very different, isn't it? Because actually we're told he's going to bring joy for many. Why is he going to bring joy? Well, look at what he's going to do, verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I get that you might read that and think to yourself, that doesn't seem very hopeful. I mean, how can there be a promise of hope which doesn't mention chocolate? I mean, how's this so, why is this such exciting news? But we've got to understand what lies behind these words. They're actually out of the book of Malachi. And Malachi in the Old Testament is a very dark book. It's written at a time where the people looked hopeless, the priests were corrupt, and people were asking, is God really there? Has he really remembered? Does he really care for us? And here's God's answer. It's on the screen. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, says the Lord Almighty. See, God gives the people what they ask for. They want to know God is for them. He's with them. And he says, well, okay, I'm coming. But before he does, he says, I'm going to send a messenger. And who's that messenger? Well, now we see. It's John. See, Luke's point is that this is the moment. The touch paper's being lit. The dawn has begun. God is delivering his salvation. But notice, though, what lies in this promise. See, there's this sense of bringing back, of turning hearts, of making ready. One of the questions I've always had is, why do we need John the Baptist? Uh, It's a question I keep coming back to, and it's a question I've come back to uh, in preparing this. And I guess the answer I've come to, the best guess, uh, the best, well, not guess, but the best answer I've come to is that we're not ready. And John shows us that we're not ready. See, it wouldn't have been enough for Jesus just to come because we wouldn't realize that actually uh, there's a problem to sort out. And it's interesting, isn't it, that this is where God focuses first and foremost in his plan of salvation. I don't know how, if you imagine you had the power to transform the darkness of our world, where would you start? I guess you might start with sorting out this vaccine, getting as many jabs in people's arms as possible, Uh, maybe looking at the economy, getting that running again. But where does God start his project? Well, it's on our hearts, on the inside. See, yes, the nation was in darkness. They had all sorts of problems. Herod was on the throne. They were under the Romans. But actually, God has come to deal with the greater darkness that is in our hearts But wonderfully, God sends his messenger to prepare us, to turn their hearts. Now, how does that relate to us as Christians? Well, I guess we've seen a lot more than Zechariah ever saw, because we've seen how this plays out, haven't we? We've seen that the gospel is the ultimate answer. 
to how our hearts are turned. See, it's as Jesus dies, as he holds out his arms and experiences the darkness of his Father, that we see our darkness paid for and taken. And it's as Jesus rises and pours out his Spirit that our hearts change from, as Ezekiel puts it, hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. See, it's as we look at the gospel, we see that God deals with the darkness. It's easy, isn't it, to lose hope as we look at all the problems of our world. And I wonder if sometimes one of the reasons we lose hope is because we think that the problems out there are the most difficult problems to solve. But actually, the Bible shows us as we go through that actually the bigger problem's in here. We've got hearts of stone. And wonderfully, that problem has been solved in the gospel of Jesus. See, so often we look to our world and we think it's so unimaginable that God could do anything to change this, but we forget how big a deal it is that God has changed our hearts so that we may love him and know him. God acts on the darkness in our hearts. But how does this help me in the everyday? How does this help me when I'm struggling to believe or when we face a difficult year like this year? Well, thirdly, we see that we can know with certainty that God will act again. I don't know if you noticed this. The reading, it kind of takes a bit of a turn. There's a bit of a a sting in the tail at the end. Uh, Look at Zechariah's reaction in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in the years. Now, that seems like an innocent response. I mean, he's a bit impolite about his wife, to be, to be fair, but it's pretty understandable what he's saying. I'm too old. Uh, how's that going to be possible? But look at how the angel Gabriel takes it in verse 20. And now you will be silent, he says, and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. See, Gabriel presses the mute button on Zechariah's vocal cords. Why? Well, because he did not believe. And you might think to yourself, that's a little bit harsh, surely. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, Zechariah's being promised something here, massive. Isn't it okay that he offers, asks for a bit of proof for that? I mean, if you do a a deal on your house or you get offered a job, you want some proof, don't you? You want some sort of sign. This is true. But actually, the angel shows us that Zechariah should have believed. Why should he have believed? Well, there's actually more going on here um, when we zoom out and look across the whole of Luke. Um, See, notice Zechariah's response. He asks, how can I know this? And the angel says, my words will be fulfilled. And actually, those ideas of knowing and words are huge themes in Luke. Um, Just look back at chapter 1, verse 4. Here, we see Luke telling us why he's writing this account. And here's what he says. So that you may know, there's the word, the certainty of the things, literally words, you have been taught. And so Luke's purpose in his gospel is not just to record history, not just to tell us some stories about Jesus, But he's given us everything so that we may know with certainty what's been promised. See, in other words, Zechariah should have believed on the basis of the word because God had said it. 
And in fact, as you look forward to Mary's response, she has a very similar experience to Zechariah, and she believes her response comes in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She says, yes, you've spoken, and now I believe. And there's a bit of a sting here. There's a bit of a kind of uh, question about our own response. Will we believe on the basis of this word? See, lots of people in our culture say, if God exists, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? Why doesn't he give a sign? But actually, Luke would say he has in his word. We don't need some extra confirmation. We don't need some extra proof. It is in his word. Now, it's worth just saying that uh, what we see here is not the end of the story. See, Zechariah is uh, to receive this punishment, but it's not God kind of throwing the book at him. See, God is restoring Zechariah. He's changing him. He's teaching him something. See, for nine whole months, um, Zechariah is to keep silent. Uh, I guess some of us might be dreaming about our husbands doing that. Uh, but, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that's a bit rude. But, um, uh, but uh, he's not to speak for nine months and, um, because he didn't believe. But that all changes because he sees these words fulfilled, and his response comes in verse 64. Here's what he said. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. See, what changes Zechariah from doubt to joy, from darkness to light, from cynicism to hope? Well, it's seeing these words fulfilled, isn't it? Seeing these words fulfilled in the coming of this child. And of course, for us Christians, it's not just to John we look, but we look to the greater child. See, when we see the greater child come, and the fact that the words have been fulfilled in him, we can, like Zechariah, praise God, have confidence in God, that there is hope in our dark world. It means that during this period of Advent, our focus uh, should be on the future, but that's not disconnected from Christmas, because It's that first Christmas, the coming of the child, that gives us great confidence that God's word will be fulfilled once more as Jesus returns. 2020 has been a hard year, and I don't think we need to pretend it hasn't. And in lots of ways, we're not at the end of it, are we? Uh, We pray, of course, that this vaccine will work, that we uh, will turn a corner. But there is a little danger with that, and I just want to mention that we forget the lessons of this year. Because the darkness of our world has forced us to ask the question, where is hope found? And it's reminding me, and I hope you, that really the only hope we have in the face of all the challenges of our world is found in this child and the word about him. I wonder if this Advent you'll come to that word and make sure that word is coming to you over this season. I was really encouraged by these fixated books Uh, We managed to shift uh, like 200 of them or something. I think we didn't really make any money. We should have charged a bit more, maybe, and uh, made some uh, some money. But um, it's great because um, I've just heard people reading them and encouraged to look at the Lord Jesus uh, over this season. And the question this provoked for me is to think, how am I doing that, Rob? How am I leading my family in that? How am I doing that for myself? Because if we're to remain hopeful in all the challenges of our world and all the darkness, well, we need to be absolutely convinced of this word. And we need to be convinced 
that God acts in our darkness. God acts on our darkness, and we can know with certainty that God will act again. Let's pray. Here are the words um, of the angel to Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Our Father, we praise you so much for the fact that you're not confined by this world's darkness and its difficulties, that nothing is impossible with you. And we praise you, Father, for sending John, who points us to the Lord Jesus and gives us hope for the future. And we pray, Father, like Mary and unlike Zechariah, we would be those who trust you at your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.